Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to um, our version of St George and the Dragon. Uh, no. Um, uh, tonight, it's um, Private Eye going from the page to the stage. And to do this, I'd like you to welcome our extraordinary cast. Could we please welcome Jan Ravens, John Sessions, Lewis MacLeod, Harry Enfield, and Craig Brown. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, are you on that? I'm here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, first of all, I would um, encourage you to um, look at the Private Eye Annual 2017, an extraordinary year. Um, comes with its own Christmas card, uh, the Holy Family walking past some ruins of um, bits of old wood which say strong and stable. <laughs> I was asked, it's not all going to be about Brexit and Trump tonight, is it? And I said no, <coughs> which was a lie. It is. <laughs> no, it's not. Other, other more important things have happened. We've had some wonderful royal news. And <laughs> history has been made, and I'd like to start off with contrasting the headlines in Britain just to show how far we've come between then and now. 1936, Prince to marry American divorcee. 2017, Prince to marry American divorcee. <laughs> Constitution in crisis. Constitution, who cares? Think of England, sire. Lie back and think of England. <laughs> it's all over for the monarchy. It's leg over <laughs> for the monarchy. <laughs> oh, no. It's abdication. Oh, yes. It's fornication. <laughs> Yes, um, we've come an awfully long way, and it's a year of anniversaries. One of the anniversaries was that of partition, uh, which was 70 years ago. And Private Eye covered this in our own pages under the headline, Partition is the only solution, says India. It has taken a top Indian civil servant, Sanjit Penpusha, to come up with the answer to what is to happen to Britain after it becomes independent. Sent out from Delhi to assist the new UK government with how to solve the problems posed by a population bitterly divided by their extreme views, Mr Penpusher has decided that there is no prospect of the two main mutually hostile groups involved ever living together peacefully again. Penpusher has therefore drawn a line down the middle of the country and ruled that, post-independence, all the leavers should live on one side in the north <laughs> and all the remainers should live in the south. <laughs> This partition plan is controversial because on each side of the line there are substantial minorities who do not fit into this sweeping division of the country. It is feared that the moment of independence when it comes at the stroke of midnight on March the 19th, 2019 will prompt huge numbers of devout Brexiteers and Ramoners to flee from their homes to seek refuge on the other side of the line. One elderly British observer, Mahatma Gandalf, <laughs> said, It's going to be total chaos. I foresee millions of refugees desperate to board trains in each direction, 
hoping to join fellow believers <laughs> as the country is irrevocably split into two. <laughs> My only hope is that the train service has now become so bad that no one will be able to go anywhere. <laughs> Um, as I promised, very few references to Brexit. Um, time to cheer ourselves up with Dumb Britain. This is the column in Private Eye which has real answers from real contestants um, in real quiz shows. All of these are genuine. And all these answers come from The Tipping Point, Pointless, The Chase, The National Lottery, or The Revived Weakest Link. And in honour of that, Anne Robinson is going to ask all of these questions. And remember, these are all real answers. So, <laughs> which brothers made the first manned-powered aero flight in 1903? Uh, the Marx Brothers. <laughs> Name a country beginning with the letter Q. Q White. <laughs> Mary Todd Lincoln was the wife of which US president? <laughs> Roosevelt? <laughs> Which Elizabethan playwright had twins called Hamnet and Judith? Cinderella. <laughs> a hi-hat is a type of which specific percussion instrument? I think it's a tuba. <laughs> Name the underwater tunnel linking Dover and Calais. The Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> England expects that every man will do his duty. Which naval hero said that? Napoleon! <laughs> Which ancient British queen of the Iceni led a revolt against Roman rule in 60 AD? Cleopatra! <laughs> the Dolomites are a branch of which major European mountain range? The Grand Canyon. <laughs> he was an old man who fished alone are the opening words of which Ernest Hemingway novel? Moby Dick. <laughs> We're looking for a 1941 film directed by Orson Welles. His directorial debut, two words, starting with the letters C.K. Calvin Klein. <laughs> Which novel featured the characters Arthur Dent, Ford Prefect and Zaphod Beeplebrox? Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Well-known DJ's name is rhyming slang for something going wrong. Steve Wright. <laughs> <coughs> it's quite enough, dumb Britain. Um, we move seamlessly from there to dumb America um, <laughs> and into the White House. Uh, the president had um, a number of moments this year, one of which was after some riots in Charlottesville. Um, and commenting on the riots, uh, President Trump seemed to have problems with moral equivalence of the two sides. Uh, Private Eye printed, Trump's view of the great conflicts of history. The Second World War. Good and bad on both sides. <laughs> sure, there were lots of Nazis. But then some very violent people tried to stop them holding a legitimate march through Eastern Europe. <laughs> you want to pull down all the statues of Hitler next? Outlaw salutes, get real. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Good and bad on both sides. 
Was that evil eye really all evil? No, it was not. Should you trust men with very hairy feet who steal other people's rings? And just cause a guy dresses up with a pointy hat and says he's a wizard doesn't mean he's a fascist. And even if he is, so what? It's a free Middle Earth. I've met some of those orcs and they're fine human beings, even if they're not human beings. Star Wars. Good and bad on both sides. Those stormtroopers certainly know how to maintain law and order. Sometimes the guys dressed all in white are the good guys. It's something I've spotted because I watch it more carefully than you. And just cause he covers his face and blows up entire planets does not make Darth Vader a bad guy. I've met some of those Ewoks. Everybody says they're so cute, but I'm not. I hate them. <laughs> and even this, they didn't have a permit. I know things that you do not know. Tom and Jerry. Good and bad on both sides. I mean, did you see the mouse use that frying pan? Right in his face. Okay, so Tom was trying to eat him, but he's a cat. Jerry's a mouse. That's how it is. Think about it. God and Satan. Good and bad on both sides. Ladies and gentlemen, Trump. Thank you very much. That's the US leader. What about our own glorious leader? Um, at least she's more amenable to the media and appears mm. on tough uh, interview shows like The One Show. Um, we were very lucky to be given a complete transcript of her appearance with her husband, Phil, on The One Show. Wow! Guess who we're interviewing? Only the Prime Minister, woo! And Mr Prime Minister, double woo! <laughs> so... Philip, what's it like being married to the most powerful woman in the country? It's great. We're very much a team, and we support each other, with Philip supporting me and me telling him what to do. Isn't that right, Philip? I take the bins out. Not yet, Philip. That's the next question. So, who does the household duties? It was love at first sight. No. No, Philip. I thought we'd agreed I'd say that. There are boy jobs and girl jobs, and Philip takes the bins out. Oh, yes. I remember. I take the bins out. <laughs> Just like normal people. This is amazing. So, Mrs May, we were all wondering, what did your father do? <laughs> well, interestingly, and I don't think a lot of people know this, my father was a vicar, making <laughs> me a vicar's daughter. Isn't that right, Philip? I take the bins out. We've done that bit, Philip. It was love at first sight. Not yet. Not yet. Strong and stable. <laughs> this is amazing. Wow. What did you say your father did again? He was a strong and stable vicar. Mrs May, can I ask a tough personal question? Uh oh, I, I think I know what's coming. Well, of course you do. We cleared it with your office. <laughs> now, <coughs> I know it's difficult to talk about, and you rarely open up about it, but do you like shoes? Yes. 
Oh, you heard it here first. The one show has its scoop. Mrs. May is actually a vicar's daughter who likes shoes. I take the bin, sir. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Prime Minister. <laughs> <clears throat> Enough politics, time for some showbiz. Um, many of you will know that Private Eye um, employs its own eulogist um, who writes obituaries in verse. And this year, we lost Sir Bruce Forsyth. And um, he penned this moving tribute. In memoriam, Sir Bruce Forsyth. So farewell then, Brucey. Brucey then farewell so. <laughs> yes. That was your sort of catchphrase. <laughs> Though over 50 years on telly, you had too many to list in a short poem. My favorite is particularly apt now. Did you play your cards right? Where are you going? Higher? Lower? <laughs> that is the question for us all in this game of life. Bruce Forsyth. It was a very crowded year and a lot of events um, were looking for space to be covered. Obviously, the issue of gender um, was very, very important. And the Church of England immediately made a stand. Private Eye covered this event straight away under the headline, Church of England to allow boys to wear dresses. The Church of England has controversially decided to accept the practice of boys cross-dressing in its various establishments. This will come as a shock to generations of parishioners who are completely unfamiliar with the sight of small boys wearing long frocks and fancy ruffs, openly taking part in public church services as though this were perfectly normal. However, a spokesman for the Church of England wearing a long flowing black cassock said... It really is time for the church to move into the 15th century and understand that clothing really should be non-gender specific and that it is no big deal for boys or indeed grown men to abandon trousers and wear elaborate vestments should they so desire. He added, this shows that we are a thoroughly modern church, not afraid to move with the times and say that we don't like women bishops. <laughs> Oops, don't quote me. We certainly won't. We are, as a country, moving forward. Not only the Church of England, but our politics. Evidence of this is uh, the people at the top of the Conservative Party, like Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> We're very fortunate that he penned a diary for us. Um, channelled by our own diarist, satirist and parodist, Craig Brown, who um, uh, took his focus to Jacob Rees-Mogg's latest pronouncement. Chim... Chimney. Chim... Chimney. Chim-chim... Chiroo. No one has more respect than I for the plucky little chap who is prepared to shin up chimney with brush and broom in exchange for a couple of shiny new pennies and a nutritious slice of bread and dripping. <laughs> I've long held to the belief that a sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. 
Needless to say, the European Union, in its infinite wisdom, has stopped these enterprising youngsters pursuing this most agreeable calling. Meanwhile, many great British chimneys languish unswept. Where is the sense in all this? Or, to put it another way, quis es iste in omni sensu? <laughs> Contrary to rumour, I feel it's my duty to point out that I'm much taken with many of the conveniences of modern life. One morning, an esteemed constituent was good enough to present me with a brightly coloured box containing 12 frozen fishy fingers, created by a redoubtable naval officer <laughs> who rejoices in the name of Captain Birdseye. I duly presented these frozen fishy fingers to the Reese Mogg clan for luncheon. There was indeed something splendid about picking up these ice-cold fishy fingers <laughs> in one's fingers and licking away at them rather as one would an ice lolly. <laughs> Never let it be said that I am not a man of the people. <laughs> Salutant nos digito kercum piscosos. We salute the fishy finger. <laughs> the triggering of Article 50 has ensured the return of the steam train, the penny farthing, <laughs> corned beef, gristle, and the much-loved poorhouse. <laughs> and after just two short years, starbursts will once again be known as opal fruits. <laughs> Flap! like a birdie, step in time. Never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Flap like a birdie, step in time. Exultate. <laughs> Craig Brown. <laughs> Things are beginning to change in Britain. Um, and uh, even though sometimes you might not believe it, the uh, shenanigans in the Royal Navy as uh, reported um, today, last week and the week before, mostly in the Daily Telegraph, do read rather like a carry-on film. Perhaps carry-on up Periscope. Starring Sid James as Captain Hornyblower, <laughs> Kenneth Williams as Rear Admiral Rear, <laughs> Barbara Windsor as Chief Pretty Officer Rugby Pumpy, and Charles Hawtrey as Abel Seaman Seaman. The scene is set. Come blimey. We've been at sea for almost 15 minutes and I'm dying for it. My country, that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheeky. Is that a Trident missile or are you just pleased to see me? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly goes off with a big bang. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am Vice Admiral Rear. <laughs> And I've come to do an inspection. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Nothing yet. Give us a second. Saucy. <laughs> <laughs> dive, dive, dive. <laughs> well, if that's an order, sir. <laughs> Horny blower and rumpy pumpy disappear from view. Bang! A bra lands in Rear Admiral Rear's face. Uh, what depth are we? Horny blower comes into view briefly. We've hit the bottom, sir. <laughs> Oh, saucy. <laughs> I knew having women on board was mistake. I'm having all the women on board I can. <laughs> Enter Seaman Seaman to make a dramatic announcement. Incoming nukes from North Korea. 
Grr, we're all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the audience then die laughing, or, or just die, thanks to a slight lack of concentration by Britain's essential first line of defence, the Royal Navy, thanks to them. <laughs> Time for the opposition. Um, Private Eye, of course, covers um, the Labour Party, uh, which it takes seriously, um, and <laughs> its leader has a column uh, called Jeremy Corbyn Writes, um, and he gives us his thoughts on the things that really matter. Here he was when he was accused of being a pacifist. Hello. Well, here we go again. The hated mainstream media are saying Corbyn's just a pacifist and he's against war. Absolute nonsense. As I claim this week, I'm not a pacifist, and just because, at that precise moment, I couldn't name a British war that I'd approved of post-1945, doesn't mean to say I can't come up with some, given a few days mooching time on my allotment. <laughs> so here's my list of justified UK wars. One, robot wars. <laughs> it's totally obvious that the house robots, uh, Killalot, Sergeant Bash and Matilda, are the clear aggressors here. So even though I'd look for a peaceful solution with NATO first, I fully approve of the Jenkins family from Croydon pitching their homemade, calendar-based effort in the arena. <laughs> Two, the civil war in the Labour Party. This one's my favourite. <laughs> I know I deplore any conflict with casualties, but as most of them are Blairites, I think it's a price worth paying that they lay down their political lives so that I can prove I'm right. <laughs> a chorus of O oh, Jeremy Corbyn, I think, for the end of that. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Time for another tribute to someone who's gone. This is the celebrity chef, and it's in memoriam Antonio Carluccio. So, farewell then, Antonio Carluccio, Italian chef, restaurateur, and culinary legend. They called you the godfather of Italian cooking, but there was no horse's head in your lasagna. <coughs> you had a way with pasta, but now, alas, you have passed away. <laughs> As Nigella tweeted, riposi in pace, which I think I will make tonight in your memory. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we do try and um, cover the very big news story, and probably the, the top one in 2017 was the news that Doctor Who is now going to be a woman. Um, this wasn't universally popular, and uh, we ran a piece about one of the groups who were quite furious about this. Dalek overlooked again. <laughs> there was fury amongst the Dalek community after the role of the 13th Doctor Who went to a human rather than a Dalek. This is so typically Dalekish. <laughs> a number of extremely competent Dalek actors have been overlooked in favour of a female human. Tweeted one <coughs> furious Dalek. Another tweeted, Why do you think young Daleks grow up to be the most evil creatures in the galaxy when they have no positive role models on the telly to aspire to? <laughs> the head of BBC <laughs> The head of BBC drama, Mr. Placeholder, refused to comment on the casting on the grounds that he had been exterminated. 
Uh, history is something we also try and cover, um, particularly um, medieval history, and we're helped in this, obviously, um, by the eyes historian, uh, Lucy Worsley. Lots and lots and lots of people remember their history lessons from school as being about kings and queens. Cut to Lucy dressed in crown and robes. And battles. Cut to Lucy dressed in chainmail, swinging a sword. And dates. Cut to Les Lucy dressed up as a raisin. <laughs> Here I am in a dusty old library talking to a man with a beard who really knows lots and lots and lots about the Wars of the Roses. So, man with a beard, am I right in thinking that the Wars of the Roses was not actually a series of battles between one rose... Lucy produces a red rose in one hand... ..and another rose? <laughs> Lucy produces a white rose in her other hand and then bashes them together. <laughs> That's right, Lucy. The Wars of the Roses were, in fact, between uh, the House of Lancaster and the House of York. Oh, fascinating, but are we talking about two actual houses made of bricks and mortar fighting each other? Cut to Lucy wearing boxing gloves, dressed up as a house with her head where the <laughs> chimney would be. <laughs> or are we talking, in fact, about something that is, in a nutshell... Lucy dips into a packet of pistachio nuts and starts shelling them. The so-called Wars of the Roses were very, very different from what we've been taught. Um, Lucy Worsley, channelled through Craig <laughs> Brown. <laughs> <clears throat> we, we do try and do um, current events as well as history, um, particularly current events um, that other papers don't want to cover. And these, these are more serious. And um, this um, is uh, a guide in the eye about how to spot terrorists, how to spot the enemy within. We were inspired by this by a number of the tabloids that run these very useful features. Um, and it's those subtle, hard-to-spot indicators that your neighbour may be an Islamist terrorist. Quiet, studious type who keeps himself to himself. Apart from putting ISIS flag in the window. And tendency to scream death to the West as he puts out bins. Complains he has been banned from local mosque for being too extreme. Frequently shows you holiday snaps from Libya and Syria. Lives with his family who are known jihadis, who appeared on Channel 4 programme The Jihadis Next Door. Orders bomb online from Ocado. And flies into rage when strawberries are delivered as nearest substitute. <laughs> Establishes caliphate and back garden. <laughs> Is not detained at any point by MI5, who declare him below the radar, low-level priority, and only reported to us as dangerous by US intelligence. And I hope everyone has noted that for future reference. Enough of that. We cover sport too. Um, and we try and cover sport properly by quoting the real things that real commentators say when they're trying to tell you what is happening in the sport. This used to be called Coleman Bulls. It's now called Commentator Bulls, um, um, after the passing of the great Coleman. Um, most of it comes from football, let's be honest, um, but there are a few others at the end if you wait. So, <coughs> this is football. Charlie Nicholas on Sky Sports. The thing about trial and error is, at least to mistakes... <laughs> Paul Merson on Sky Sports. Crouch at the far post, puts his hands in his head. 
Chris Waddle on Radio 5 Live. The pitch is a bit bobbly, which is a great leveller. <laughs> a commentator on Radio Scotland. It's straight down the keeper's throat, but somehow he lets it through his legs. <laughs> Phil Neville on Radio 5 Live. The Leicester defence seem to have taken their eye off the gas. <laughs> Paul Robinson on BBC One. Millwall had nothing to lose at the start. <laughs> They've got even more now. <laughs> a commentator on Radio 5 Live. It's half of one, six a dozen of the other. <laughs> Glenn Hoddle on ITV. This Chile team has no weaknesses. They do struggle defensively, though. <laughs> Steve Claridge on Radio 5 Live. They're cutting through like a butter-through knife. <laughs> Ali McCoist, Radio 5 Live. Rangers are a unique team, just like seven or eight others. <laughs> Wayne Rooney talking about Fabio Capello on TalkSport. Yeah, obviously his English weren't great. <laughs> <laughs> a couple from rugby. This is a rugby commentator on ITV. The ball made him play with himself. <laughs> Ian Ritchie again on Radio 5 Live. Concussion is definitely a big challenge. We have to address it head on. <laughs> Cycling. This was Kate Silverton on BBC News. Chris Froome having held the leader's yellow jelly for most of the race. <laughs> Just one from cricket. Marcus Truscoffic on Sky Sports. Alex Hales. We know how he can explode at the back end. <laughs> Tennis with Sue Barker on BBC One. Federer first came to Wimbledon winning the junior title at the age of 98. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Becker, a bit later on BBC One. There's no two ways about it. Uh, you either love it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, from motor racing, this is Jenny Gao on Radio 5 Live, really. Jensen Button's helmet will be there for everyone to enjoy one last time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the commentator balls. <laughs> time for another poem, Lines on the Silencing of Big Ben. So, farewell then, Big Ben. Bong, <laughs> bong, 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 bong. That was your catchphrase. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Private Eye has a number of ways of trying to cover the major events. One of them is we employ our own <clears throat> romantic novelist, um, Dame Sylvie Crin, a uh, much-decorated author who writes um, lush fiction about the things that really matter, particularly the royal family and international affairs. In this um, uh, much... Um, 
uh, rewarded short story, Dame Sylvie um, contemplates the impending royal state visit of Donald Trump and places Charles contemplating that prospect. You know, Camilla, he really is... Uh... <laughs> Camilla finished the sentence for him. Appalling? Yes, said the prince. That is the most just. If he comes over for his wretched state visit, then I will tell him so at the state banquet. You just see if I don't. Oh, come off it, Chazza, said his steadfast consort and adviser. You know what your mater will say. It's all part of the job. Well, look, I, I can put up with Robert McCarby, Matey Ceausescu, President Hu He, even Mrs Thatcher. <laughs> but I don't think uh, I can put up with this chap. I mean, one has to draw the line somewhere. Well, I do hope he doesn't try and grab your mother's hand like he did with Mrs May, or indeed grab her anywhere else. <laughs> oh, do grow up. Later that day, Charles stood alongside the elegant Louis the Rue state dining table, <laughs> where Her Majesty the Queen was already working out the placement for the Trump dinner, with the aid of the Duke of Edinburgh. Protocol dictates that Mr. Trump sits here between oneself and the Duchess of Cambridge. Is that a good idea, old thing? <laughs> Queried Prince Philip. Putting Yankee Doodle Randy next to the prettiest girl in the room? <laughs> I mean, we can't have any small roving hands under the tablecloth, can we? Philip, behave. Charles. I shall move Kate and put the Archbishop of Canterbury there instead. Surely he'll be safe. Let me. Oh, oh, oh yes, I just woke up. I'm 96, you know. Um, <laughs> 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 you know provided he doesn't turn up in a frog, might confuse old Trumper. <laughs> Charles was getting frustrated with his parents and interrupted testily. Yes, yes, but where am I? You're here with the First Lady Melanoma on your left <laughs> and the President's daughter, Donaldina, on your right. But we're down near the kitchen. Charles protested. I'm miles away. I won't be able to bend his ear on, you know, multi-faith issues and Arctic melting and... and, and the Queen sighed and suddenly looked old, tired at the thought of the responsibility of hosting yet another unpleasant world leader. Sometimes it's all such a problem that I feel like handing it over to someone younger. In fact, that is exactly what I'm going to do. Charles' heart leapt. I shall get Andrew to do it. <laughs> He's very good at trade things and Mr Trump loves him. At that moment, the portly figure of the Duke of York, the Queen's favourite son, bustled into the room. Hi, parents. Hi, bro. <laughs> ah, Plasmore. No problemo. We have the Donald opposite me for the business banter and in between, my two girls, eugenics and beatitude. <laughs> of course, for the totty quotient. Then we put some of his chief people next to you, Ma. So, Piers Morgan on your right and Nige Farage on the <laughs> left. With Mr Klansman next to you, Peter. It's going to be a blast. Charles put his head in his hands and sighed again. The whole thing is going to be... <laughs> Sometimes words were not enough. <laughs> Thank you very much to the royal family. <laughs> One of the president's diversionary tactics this year was to release the papers about his predecessor, John F. Kennedy's assassination, hoping that this would finally clear up all the questions that Americans had been asking. Um, it wasn't entirely successful. 
On the occasion of the release of the FBI and CIA papers covering JFK's assassination, the American people are flooding the internet with more questions left unanswered. Lee Harvey Oswald, hood hid in a book depository. What are books? <laughs> are they like iPads made of paper? Why doesn't the government explain what books are? Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK with a rifle. Why didn't he use an AK-47? Was he some kind of pacifist? Anti-gun? Faggot? JFK has the same initials as JFK Airport. Coincidence? Hardly. <laughs> JFK was a Democrat president. Why were people upset at his death? Was everyone a bleeding heart liberal in the olden days? Five. What happened to five? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Um, uh, we, we, we all try not to believe in them, um, but sometimes when something happens, like Boris Johnson becoming the foreign secretary, it's difficult to believe that that's just cock up. I'll rephrase that. Um, <laughs> Boris Johnson is our foreign secretary, and earlier this year, in part of his job, he was sent out to deal with Hurricane Irma in the Caribbean. Fortunately for Private Eye, he sent us his diary, <laughs> thinking we were the Telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> Guess where old Bodder has been? <laughs> Only the British Virgin Islands, and no jokes about virgins, thank you very much. <laughs> Bojo's a serious international statesman now, and not just a world-famous ladies' man who turned up hoping to meet this Irma everyone's talking about. <laughs> anyway, no more talk of dusky maidens or trousers at half-mast. This is proper Larif, Bozzer style, stop it, matron. <laughs> First up, Mrs. May called me in and said, it's terribly dangerous over there and somebody might get lost in a whirlwind and never come back. I know just the chap to send on the first plane over. <laughs> you! Ah! So I put on a natty crumpled linen suit looking suitably raj. <laughs> Though the Air Force Spoil Sports told me to leave the pith helmet at home. <laughs> And Shazam! I was off on a mission to reassure Johnny Native that he was just as British as the rest of us, and that her Madge was doing everything she could to rebuild his hut. Uh, just as soon as we could get the Navy to send over HMS Inadequate with enough mud and straw. <laughs> and it all went very well. I was greeted at what remained of the airport, armed with a jar of Marmite and a mug saying, keep calm and carry on, uh, by hundreds of grateful coconut munchers. Uh, 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 singing, dancing, and holding up banners, reading, haven't we suffered enough? Good, good, good to see they've kept their sense of humor. Uh, uh, they appreciate I'm flying the flag for Blighty, which is pretty easy when the wind blows this strongly. <laughs> Anyway, I've promised the downtrodden denizens of the Caicos and Etos Islands uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a whole load of dosh courtesy of the British taxpayer so they can rebuild all their fine offices with uh, shiny new brass plates on the doors so that those clever chaps can show everyone how to avoid paying any tax. Bozzles put his size 10s in it. Wah. Still, think he got away with it. <laughs> I, 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 nobody noticed now. Where are all those British virgins I keep hearing about?
in the interests of balance, uh, <laughs> um, I feel I should um, now present uh, an extract from our long-running interview feature. This is where we take people in the public eye and ask them serious questions about their spoons. Uh, this is the me and my spoon column. And in 2017, our biggest interview was with Diane Abbott. Uh, how many spoons would you say were appropriate for the ordinary, hard-working family? Well, <laughs> we estimate... We... Uh, we, the, we... Well, we estimate a figure of 74,603 <laughs> as the ideal norm... Uh, 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 as a rough estimate, that is, we... Really, as many as that? How, how do you arrive at that figure? <laughs> well, we get the figure. We get the figure because that is what the figure is. What, what would be the cost of almost 75,000 spoons per average household? Well, the average price of, say, £3.76 per spoon, the total cost would come to about £18.62. Give Forget, or Forgive take. me, but I don't follow your arithmetic. If you estimate the price of a spoon at £3.76... Jeremy has made it very clear that a Labour government will ensure sufficient high-quality spoons for the many and not just the few. Could I take you back to the financial aspect for a moment? The figure of £18.62. It is only fair that those who can afford it will have to pay a little bit extra for their spoons. It is scandalous that in the 21st century there are literally millions unable to afford whatever it is we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Abbott! <laughs> uh, more poetry. Um, and this is Poetry Corner 4. Uh, this is just to say that sometimes the news doesn't turn out to be, well, to be right. Um, but our obituarist was, was briefly fooled and uh, he wrote this royal tribute. So farewell then, Prince Philip. <laughs> you have died at the age of XX. <laughs> Fill in the details. Or so said the telegraph online. But actually, you are still alive. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> the mistake, uh, not the fact that you are still alive. <laughs> so farewell then. The intern working in the obituary department <laughs> of the Telegraph online. We try and keep an eye on foreign affairs, uh, private eye, um, which, you know, are obviously quite complex, not nearly as complex as Brexit, clearly, but the rest of the world, we have to know what's going on. Fortunately, the Ministry of Defence briefs us, um, and we brief our readers. This is a guide called Who's Fighting Who? And, as the MOD says, it, it couldn't be simpler. We are backing the US over Syria, 
The US is backing the rebels. Saudi Arabia is also backing the rebels. The rebels are Al-Qaeda under the name of Al-Nusra. The US is against Al-Qaeda, but in favour of Al-Nusra, so long as no one notices. Al-Nusra are against ISIS, as are Assad, the US, the Saudis, the Russians, and everyone else. The Russians are for Assad and against Al-Nusra, Al-Qaeda, and Al-Gore. The Turks <laughs> are against Assad, ISIS, and also the Kurds. The Russians were against the Turks when they shot down a Russian plane, but seem to be warming to the Turks now that President Erdogan is becoming more like President Putin. Quite where the Russians stand on the Kurds, no-one seems to know. Oh, and we nearly forgot about the Iranians. The Iranians are backing Assad and are also backed by the Russians. The Americans used to be in favour of the Iranians, but are now against them. Except in Iraq, where we and the Americans are fighting with the Iranians against ISIS. We also have to remember Yemen, where we are supplying arms for the Saudis to support some of the Yemenis against other Yemenis who are supported by the Iranians. On second thoughts, don't even go there. <laughs> Yemen, we mean, or Libya for that matter, or the Middle East in general. We did try going there once, and that's what caused all this trouble. <laughs> but be careful not to mention that bit. Um, that's it. Carry on. <laughs> Thank you very much to the MOD. <clears throat> the other big story of the year, um, uh, Private Eye had to cover, um, it was stories of sexual har harassment and Harvey Weinstein. Um, we do in Private Eye run apologies, usually um, for people who haven't made them. Um, and this year we ran an apology on behalf of two of the former presidents of the United States. Firstly, Barack Obama. We may, in recent years, <laughs> have given the impression that we thought that Mr. Harvey Weinstein, the well-known film producer, was in some way a major force for good in American culture and society. When we faded Mr. Weinstein at the White House and their events, welcoming him with affectionate hugs and posing for photographs with him, we told everyone present, Harvey is the most wonderful human being in the world. This may have led our fellow Americans to believe that we in some way held Mr. Weinstein in the highest esteem. <laughs> we now realize, in the light of recent revelations, that Mr. Weinstein is in fact one of the most disgusting and loathsome human beings that the world has ever known. What we should obviously have said to this repulsive criminal when he had the audacity to turn up at the White House was, Mr. Weinstein, it's good of you to give that enormous check to the Democratic funds but just leave it in the hall and go out through the back through the kitchen. And also, another former president. May I add that I myself am particularly shocked by the idea of a man in a position of great power attempting to coerce a young woman into granting him <laughs> sexual favors in return for a promise that he might advance her career. In all my life, I have never come across anything so deeply unsettled. <laughs> and Hillary wishes me to say that she agrees with every word of this statement. <laughs> Thank you very much to the two former Democrats. <laughs> All getting a bit adult time for some children's books. Um, Private Eye runs the Mr. Men, much-loved series, and we had a character called Mr. Green, who lives in Monaco. Um, <laughs> some reason he kept being called Mr. Greedy. Um, 
uh, typo, I believe. Now, this is the latest instalment, and to read it, we have Arthur Lowe, who read the original Mr Men stories. This episode is called Mr Greedy to the Rescue. I'm fed up with people calling me greedy, said Mr Greedy, tucking into his fifth plate of jellied eels and caviar on his luxury yacht, Lying Fart. <laughs> what can I do to rescue my reputation? You could do the decent thing, said Mrs Greedy. What, fall off the boat like Mr Maxwell? No. Mrs Greedy replied, shocked and tucking into her sixth plate. Why don't you give back some of the money we borrowed from Mr Old and Mrs Poor and Miss Destitute? Good idea. Then maybe they'll let me keep my title. What title is that? Asked his wife. The world's greediest man, of course, you daft Monaco-based strumpet. So, with his arm twisted behind his back, Mr Greedy looked down the back of his sofa and came up with £363 million. <laughs> Rather than the £500 million that would have filled the pension's black hole. All the Mr and Mrs men cheered, saying... Hurrah for Mr. Greedy. He hasn't been quite as greedy as he was going to be. Although, to be honest, he's still fucking greedy. Pardon <laughs> <laughs> me. Sorry, children. It's time for bed. The language seems to have gone a bit blue as opposed to green. <laughs> <laughs> we leave the world of children's books and the decadent corporate life to go back to real-life nature. And it's time for Craig Brown, our diarist again, um, to channel Bear Grylls. Uh, Bear Grylls recently ran, um, published, and wrote a survival guide to the wilderness. Here he is. How to avoid being eaten by a crocodile. The croc is a dangerous beast. You need to be on high alert for him at all times. Once on a walk through croc country, one of the blighters reared out of the bushes and bit my right hand clean off. <laughs> Lady Luck must have been smiling on me that night because the croc had hardly chewed my right hand at all. So I was able to sew it back on using a length of twine from a jungle creeper, some spit, a tin of safety pins from my survival kit. Game over! <laughs> By the morning, my hand was as good as new. Before lunch, I went back to wrestle the croc into submission, shouting, beg for mercy! You, you have to show the crocodile who's boss. He'll learn to respect you for it. This one became a good friend. Last year, we went on a camping holiday up the Zambezi together, <laughs> swapping fireside yarns late into the night. If you're in shark-infested waters, if sharks are nearby, be careful not to draw attention to yourself by splashing around and issuing childish taunts. The shark does not like to be baited and will come down on playground teasing like a ton of bricks. <laughs> I once made the mistake of telling a shark its eyes were too close together. <laughs> it cost me four fingers and a big toe. Believe me, that was one lesson I'll never forget. Game over. What not to do when confronted by a bear in the woods? Keep quiet. Don't try to make conversation. Bears are shy creatures. They would rather kill you than engage in small talk. <laughs> Don't try to play dead. Bears have zero sense of humour. 
They've seen it all before and are not amused. Don't try to run away. You have zero chance of outrunning a bear, particularly if it's wearing trainers. <laughs> if you get bitten by a snake, generally speaking, snakes will avoid you. However, if you're walking barefoot through the snake-infested jungle, then it may be worth taking a stick with you, particularly if you're being chased by a bear at the same time. When you get bitten by a deadly snake and have only two minutes left to live, the important thing, stay calm. <laughs> You've got to keep your heart rate slow to stop the venom spreading. The best way to do this is to relax with a newspaper or magazine. <laughs> or by enjoying smooth, melodic radio, uh, music on your jungle radio. The last time I was bitten on my throat by a deadly snake, <laughs> I just sat back and listened to one of my all-time favourite albums, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. <laughs> Meanwhile, I took a small hacksaw out of my toolkit and carefully sawed off my arm, distracting myself by singing along to such classic tracks as Money for Nothing, Game Over! <laughs> Bear Grylls! We do try and educate and inform our readers, particularly when something odd happens in the news that no-one knows how to explain. Again, I return to President Trump, who managed to tweet in the middle of the night the word Covefi. Uh, you may remember this caused a, a, a huge amount of interest. What on earth could he be meaning to say? Fortunately, Private Eye runs a series called Notes and Queries, um, in which we managed to make it absolutely clear what Kavefi was about. There were a series of alternatives, and the first came from the journalist Anne Coulter, editor of the Washington Post-Truth. Anyone with the most basic knowledge of Washington politics would know that Kavefi is an acronym for an extremely important government security organization similar to the British Cobra. The president was clearly calling an urgent meeting of Kavefi, the committee of very frightening <laughs> events facing everyone, <laughs> which is held in a secret bunker five miles underground beneath the Pentagon. Kavefi is so secret that only I know of its existence. The second alternative came from a rabbi in New York. Well, it's, it's, you know, kovefe is actually an insult in Yiddish uh, and has long been incorporated into American inner city slang. You will remember the scene in Woody Allen's early New York based comedy, Fake Jews, <laughs> where where the hero, Woogie Harlem, says to the art gallery owner, uh, Alan Woody, you're such a covefe already. It means something like a schmuck or a Louise Mensch, but it's not as offensive. <laughs> it's not as offensive as a Trump. The real answer um, to what is a covefe came from Britain, from a Mr. Stavros. As a proud Greek, <laughs> and honorary secretary of the all, all North London Hellenic Baking Federation, I have to say the answer is obvious. A kovefi is a delicious Greek pastry made with honey and almonds, something like baklava, but flavoured with a dash of no-taxa brandy. <laughs> It comes originally from the Cyclidean island of Argos. <laughs> and it's said to have been served to Odysseus himself, innit? 
at my shop, we still produce the finest coveffe this side of Mount Olympus Trip. And I think that is the only explanation. <laughs> Getting very near the end now, um, we have to end on proper royalty, um, Dame Judi Dench. Um, uh, Dame Judi um, was recently given an honorary degree by Harvard University, and this is the entire citation in Latin, uh, which Private Eye was proud, as usual, to put in. Salutamus Judi Dentius Grandissime Dama Theatrica at Stella Cinematicata. Victor Baftarum et Elscorum Maltorum. Per exemplis Regina Elizabetha Prima in Shakespeareus in Lovey. <laughs> Sed celebratissima M in Francisi Interminabile Jacobus Bondus. <laughs> Viz Casino Royalis, Quantum Solacium, Mori Alta Diem. Et caterat, 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 finaliter Caelum Descendens, Musicum Thematum per Adele. <laughs> Judy, Judy Tresor Nationalis, et gesta regulara in colloquium Grehami Nortoni, <laughs> in Televisioni. And Marmus Damus Judy, Nunc Doctor Artis in Universitatum. Harvardis. Gaudiamus igata benedicte out in lingua anglica bless. <laughs> um, and finally, before we get thrown out, no private eye show, um, certainly not this year, is complete without a letter to the Telegraph by Sir Herbert Gusset. Um, this is the major story of the year, an absolute scandal involving the National Trust, which I'm sure many of you will have been aware of. It was about badges. Um, I'm going to leave it to Sir Herbert to explain. This was the letter to the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> Sir, my good lady wife and I have been supporters of the National Trust for over one hundred years. <laughs> and indeed, for the last thirty years, have been volunteer guides at the charming Jacobean country house, Wolfenden Hall, where we happily welcomed guests of every description to the property. You can imagine our dismay when we were suddenly instructed last week, on pain of being demoted, to serving in the gift shop that we had henceforth to wear a garish rainbow badge. <laughs> bearing the logo, I'm LBCBTQI. <laughs> This was, we were told, part of the National Trust's ill-advised house and gay den <laughs> initiative in which it attempted to woo the so-called pink pound by rewriting the history of some of its most treasured properties in a more inclusive manner. 
as someone who knew the late owner of Wolfenden Hall, Cedric Wimple St. John Screamer? <laughs> I was appalled by the attempt of the politically correct <laughs> brigade to try and claim Cedric as a gay hero. <laughs> Cedric was a quiet, unassuming bachelor <laughs> who wrote poetry and had a number of close friends in the creative and artistic community. <laughs> there was never any suggestion during his life that he might be <laughs> homosexual. <laughs> and indeed, the matter was never referred to by him, and certainly not by those of us amongst his acquaintance who used to drop into the hall of an evening to drink sherry and listen to his collection of Judy Garland. <laughs> Long playing record. I do hope that we can now put this matter behind us and once again, Concentrate on educating our visitors about the delights of Wolverhampton Hall, including Sedgwick's historic collection of Arab teapots <laughs> amassed on his visits to Tunisia. <laughs> and Morocco. <laughs> Yours screamingly. Sir Herbert, does it! Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sessions. <laughs> can I, can I finally thank you all very much indeed for putting up with that um, and putting up with us? And uh, we are signing books in the foyer afterwards. If you want to get. Um, an annual, the 2017 annual, where a lot of that, well, nearly all of that material came from. So please um, do come along and do that. And can I lastly say a round of applause for this amazing cast. <laughs> Off you go. Thank you. Thank you so much.